is the last week of our Sabbath series. Everyone say boo. Everyone say hana ho. <laughs> Keep them going. Um, I don't know about you guys. We've been blessed. Our small group has had some really good discussions and, um, man, just kind of revelations about what resting in God could actually look like. And today is the fourth sort of movement about what Sabbath is. And how many of you guys, real quick, were blessed by Pastor Jonathan's word last week? Were you here? Wasn't that amazing? And just really pulled out the essence of delighting in the Lord, which is really at the heartbeat of this thing we call Sabbath. So if you're just jumping in, you're like, wait a minute, isn't Sabbath that one of those weird Old Testament things? Are you guys like trying to get back into the old religion? No, no, no. That's not what we're doing. Sabbath for us is about casting a vision for ourselves and our families of falling under godly rhythm of rest and work and rest and work. And a lot happens spiritually when we decide to rest in Christ. Amen. But I got to tell you this story. So when I was in high school, so I've always had a problem. I've had multiple problems. Um, Don't talk to Pastor Rick. He'll tell you more than my share of problems. But one of the problems I've had is, uh, it's a small one, is that I've I've had encounters with famous people every once in a while. And I have like this like giddy, like schoolgirl, like starstruck tips thing. Something happens when I'm in the room with somebody who I feel is greater than me or like more famous or whatever it may be, like it changes my behavior. So one time we, I was in high school. Anybody ever watched that show Lost? You guys remember that show? Okay, so when we were in Lost, um, me and my friends were bowling at Polly Lane's, rest in peace, Polly Lane's, but we were bowling there. There used to be a bowling alley in Kailua for you guys who are new, and it was amazing, but we lost it. So pray, pray, intercede for that bowling alley. We want it back. Um, but Polly Lane's were bowling, and there's nobody there. It was like a Wednesday night. And all of a sudden, this, the entire cast for Lost literally bowls, and the, all the lanes are empty. They bowl in like the, the, you know, the, the aisle next, right next to us. And so we're sitting there, and we look over, and like, ho, ho, like that kind. And like our hearts get giddy and stuff. And I was a, like always just kind of a giddy, attention-seeking teenager. So my first thing to do was... Well, I'm going to go talk to them. And, and as I was talking to them, I was like cracking jokes. I started bowling. I started like throwing the ball as high as I could. I was just like acting out because I wanted to like somehow impress them. Anybody, ever, anybody else like me in this room? Okay, okay, just me and Kaleo. He Kaleo, you know what I'm talking about. Where we try too hard to impress people and we start just acting in ridiculous ways. So I remember trying to have a conversation. One of the guys in that show, one of the guys in the cast was um, a hobbit from Lord of the Rings. And uh, I just went over to him. I'm like, is it okay if I forget your name? Can I just call you Hobbit? And I'm like, bro. And I was telling my friend, I'm like, yo, guys, there's a Hobbit. There's a Hobbit. And coming over. And he was just, you can imagine, he doesn't like enjoy being called a Hobbit. So he was just like, uh, whatever. So he literally went and he talked to the, the bowling alley people. And he asked them, like, kindly, can you tell them to leave? Because they were being so annoying kind of thing. And so they came over to us like, oh, you guys are kind of... Uh, annoying them or whatever. So they literally asked us to leave. And for, I don't know, I didn't think we did anything wrong, but we know that we actually got a picture. I don't have it on here, but I have a picture of us, our whole crew with their crew. But I've had this several times in my life. I was also in Africa and randomly, and I ran into the Black Eyed Peas, like in a hotel lobby. And it was super random. And I did the same thing. Like I just like, oh my gosh, they're here. And I didn't know how to act. And I'm just like awkwardly smiling and just like staring at them like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you know what I mean? And here's the point is I noticed that when you're in the, there's something in our human spirit that when we're in the presence of somebody greater, it changes our behavior, right? It makes us act funny and act different. And this is actually what the heart of Sabbath is all about. 
Now, on a human level, it's unhealthy. You should treat humans like humans, and you should, I'm like, now, like, there's been other cases where I've run into people, and I have to be like, okay, shh, I'm an adult now, I'm mature, I can handle myself, and just play, hey, what's up? You know, play it cool, you're on their level. Um, but with God, there is something that happens in a Sabbath activity when we sit together, or we, we make space to enjoy time with God, that being in His presence ought to shape our posture, right? It should shape our behavior. And so the last movement is this thing we call worship. And now worship, you guys know what worship is. Most of us think we come and we worship. We sing a couple songs in the beginning. That is worship. But the Bible kind of speaks on it in a little bit of a richer way. And I want to kind of lead into, um, lead into what the heartbeat of worship is and why this is an important facet of being able to find true rest for our souls. That's the promise of Jesus. That when you come to Jesus, you will find a true rest, a spiritual rest. So the restlessness, the aches and pains that the world causes are able to be managed because you have a contentment and a peace and just to be able to like, because you know you're in the presence of somebody great. Amen? So today's sermon is called, He is God. <laughs> that might be like, oh, for real. Yeah, He is God. I don't know if you knew that before, but He is God. But here's the thing. What is the right response when we're in the presence of God? The Old Testament and the New Testament kind of give different positions because in the Old Testament, virtually everybody who came face to face with God ended up on their knees, crying, scared, or flat on their face most of the time because the glory of God is overwhelming to the human soul. Amen? So we can't fathom the fullness of the glory of God. But something happens in the New Covenant where the glory of God is manifest in this human Jesus, God's own son, and that in him, we actually, in Jesus' words, we carry his yoke, the teachings, the glory, the goodness, the power, the love, the generosity, uh, the intellect, everything about who Christ is, we carry it in the yoke of Christ. Jesus says it this way, come to me and carry my yoke because it, it is light and it is easy. It's not going to burden you. So, the glory of God in Christ now lives in us as Christ lives in us. Amen? We don't have to fall down flat on our face anymore. We can now worship as Christ in us is the hope of glory. So here's the point. Whether you're living in the Old Testament and you're falling flat on your face just in total awe and reverence before God, or you're in the New Testament and you're recognizing that the Spirit of God that lives within me is the one who is to credit for all the goodness, all the blessing in my life. Worship is the only response to God's presence. Amen? It's the only response. How do you respond when you're in the presence of God? Worship is the only response. Now, if you're kind of like, well, I feel like I'm in the presence of God sometimes, but my heart's not worshipful. Sometimes what we do, and I've noticed this in myself, is we reduce God to something, an object, a friend. I've done this all the time where I've so made God my friend that I've forgotten that he's Lord and he's above me and he is good and he is sovereign and he is for me, but he is over me. He's more powerful than me, <laughs> right? So my response to God is to worship. I worship him. And the, if I'm not worshiping, I have to ask myself, if I'm not worshiping him in his presence, do I actually consider him God? And that sounds harsh, but that's really the truth. Is he God or is he my projection of a friend or something else? And have I lost 
the full magnitude of who he is. Remember when Job was crying out to God, like calling him out, almost like he's an equal with God. And he's like, what? What? You, you look at all these things happening to me. Was I not good enough for you? Was I, was I not worshiping you enough? And he says, ho, ho, ho. Who's the one who strung the stars in the sky again? Who's the one who spins earth on orbit? Who's the one who created all things and filled it with birds and plants and life and all creation? It was a reminder, don't think that you and I are on the same level. Amen? <laughs> and this is, and if this sounds like, oh my gosh, like this is, feels like, oh my gosh, you're separating me from God. No, no, no. This is the best part about who God is, is that he is here even when we are not. And so we have to find the right posture, and Sabbath brings us into a posture of worship. How oftentimes in the week do we actually stop and just be like, oh my gosh, God, you are incredible. You are amazing. You have done all these things. If we don't habituate some kind of rhythm of stopping and resting, it's almost like we are positioning ourselves to take for granted the goodness of God in our lives because we don't stop to worship. One of, the, one of the biggest convictions that the Holy Spirit's given me in the last decade is, uh, well, not decade, probably, it was like 20 years ago. How old am I? Yeah, it was like probably like, I don't know, 15 to 20 years ago. It was in college-ish. I would be the guy who would show up late to church um, because worship was okay, but I just kind of wanted to come for the word. I wanted to hear the message. And what God convicted me of was he said, hey, in a church service, there's a time where the, when the word is spoken that we can receive something and we can be fed, so to speak. But there's also a time where you need to express yourself to God. And he wants to receive something from you. And so God is like, you're coming to be fed, but to give nothing back to me. Amen? Some of you guys are like, oh, I better show up for worship. But that's really why we do both in a service. There's a time to speak and express and just pour out our adoration, our affection on Jesus because he's worth it. Because he's good. He's above all things. And then there's a time to hear his word so that we might be exhorted to live the life he's called us to live. But both go hand in hand. And if we're coming to hear the word but not actually express anything to God, we'll find ourselves in this rhythm of sort of a, forgive my French, but like a spiritual constipation where we're eating and we're eating and we're eating and nothing is being released. Amen? We don't want to be spiritually constipated. We want to have a healthy spiritual digestive system. Amen? We want to eat and release at the same time. Okay, you guys are with me on that one. All right. So check out this in Luke 10. This is, I love this story. And you guys know this story. It's a really quick glimpse. It's just this very fast story right in the middle of Luke 10. And Jesus just finishes telling the Good Samaritan story. The Good Samaritan was, who is my neighbor? Who is the good neighbor? The good neighbor is the one who stops to help the one in need, even though he is a Jew and you're a Samaritan. He's the good neighbor because he cares with incredible generosity for this man. Right after that, this story is told. Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed her, welcomed him sorry, into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're so worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, 
and it will not be taken away from her. The posture of Sabbath is to not let your activity override your connectivity to Jesus. Does that make sense? This is the heart of Sabbath. It's a heart of worship. What is the one thing that Mary got that Martha did not get? Is that the presence of God is it. That's everything. My connection to Jesus, if he's my Lord and Savior, I don't want to be preparing a meal, even though that was the right thing to do. If you're hosting someone, a guest, you bring that, you cook that food, you clean the house, you do it, all these things that you're supposed to do to host well. But Martha was missing the point that when Jesus is the guest of honor, he's not looking for your activity. He's looking for your heart to connect with him. That's the posture of Mary. Sit with me like Mary sits. Don't busy yourself. Don't feel the need to be productive. Sit with me. And this is like the heart posture that begins worship, what biblical worship is. So in Sabbath, connectivity trumps your activity. This is why we set aside a time in our week, a time in our month, a time in our year to really Sabbath, to really have some kind of rhythm of rest because connectivity with Christ is on the line. Now, many of us who are mature in our faith, who might have been doing this for a long time, we have rhythms of connecting with Jesus, and, and we just know where to connect with him and, and how, and, and we're able to stop or pause other good things for the sake of, of being with Christ, and that's a really, really good thing. But here's the, and I want to just say, too, if you haven't been watching the midweek, or sorry, the, um, the small group material, it's on the app. And it's, on, it's all online and it's all free. I would really, because this is the last week, I would really encourage you to go back and watch every video because I think it leads us into this process, this beautiful process of Sabbath. And so here's the process as a quick recap. That number one, it starts with stop. That's resisting. I have to learn as a Christ follower to stop cooking and cleaning when Jesus says, come sit at my feet. Amen? That's all of us. I have to, we have to learn that posture. Number two is rest. What was Mary doing? She was delighting herself. She was resting at Jesus' feet. She stopped working, but also she stopped worrying. She stopped wanting. She stopped longing. She stopped desiring because she was fulfilled in just resting at the feet of Jesus. It literally said she was at his feet, just delighting in everything he was teaching, just being present with him. Rejuvenation comes when we rest in Christ. Delight reveling. This is what Pastor Jonathan spoke about last week. It's like when you just, mm, like you just have this amazing, like, oh my gosh, this revelation of you are so good and your abundance is for me. And I live in a place of abundance, not in a place of lack. That's Mary's heart. She lived in a place of abundance. I don't need to prepare food for him. Look who we're with. He makes food come out of the air, <laughs> right? Why would I need to prepare a dinner for this guy when I know who he really is? I can delight in the abundance that comes from Christ. That kind of delight. We had this beautiful um, Sabbath a couple weeks ago with our kids. Um, our kids have a mild addiction to eggnog, and they come by it honestly. And so it's their favorite thing in the world. And so we made eggnog a part of our Sabbath as we're talking about delight. And I told the kids, I said, okay, sip your eggnog, close your eyes, and just let it stay in there for a little bit. Just savor every little bit of nutmeg and sugar and all the great ingredients that are in it. And I want you, as you swallow it, to think of something that, that that Ono flavor that you get when you drink eggnog, I want you to tell me how Ono God is to you, basically. Make that connection. So they're like kind of swishing around. They're like, mm, eggnog. Like they're just kind of going into a coma. And then as soon as they swallow it, 
they all just kind of release something like, oh, God is just so loving and uh, God is so strong and he cares for us. It's like, amen, amen. It's for kids to have these revelations tied to that flavor in their mouth. I'm like, you guys know what it means to delight in the Lord. You delight, as I delight in food, as I delight in the things of this world, I recognize that I am with God and I lack nothing. Amen? Delight. Everything I have is in Christ. And the last one is this, is worship. And worship, the R word I gave it was repositioning. Why do we need to worship during some, like just create a Sabbath time, like a break time in our work schedule to stop and worship him? Because for this reason alone, oftentimes the busyness of this world will creep up and it'll position us, will get us out of whack. How many of you have tried to drive a car with bad alignment? (laughs) Amen. When you drive a car with bad alignment, you can keep, as long as you're at the wheel, you can keep it relatively straight. But over time, you're noticing, bugger, like pull right, you know, all the time. It's just going to pull you slightly so you don't notice it, but it's going to eventually get you off track if you don't fix that alignment repositioning or realigning our hearts is such a key and crucial position to take when we, when we Sabbath, when we rest in God. And simply put, if you're like, okay, well, what are we talking about when we talk about worship? Here's a simple way to put it. Simply put, worship is acknowledging that he is God and I am not. He is God and I am not. It's the most oversimplified version of worship. When we sing in church, what are we doing? You are God. I am not. It's not about me and my desires, what I want. It's your will be done. It's your goodness I want to talk about. You get the glory. I want that. I want God. I want you to feel amazing and be blessed by my spirit because what you have poured out in me, what I freely received, I want to freely give back to you. Amen? This is worship. You're God and I'm not. I can't be God. And this is one of the most beautiful, beautiful truths about Christ. And if you feel like, you know, that statement, you might be like, oh my gosh, he is God and I am not. It's, Pastor Mark, are you creating a divide between us and God? No, 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 this is what's beautiful about it, is that in realizing that I am not God, it makes me fully dependent on him. It makes me realize that every good and beautiful gift is not actually of myself, and it relieves me of that selfishness. Amen? That he's the good one. He's the generous one. He is the steward of all great things. So from him, all blessings flow. And when I, I understand that at a deep level, it keeps me from, keep, from putting myself in a throne I was never put, supposed to be in. And that is the healthiest thing for our soul. Amen? So, he is God, and I am not. I remember in Genesis chapter 3, you guys know the story. The thing that separates God and man the most happens in Genesis 3. When Eve, who knew God created her, He says, I created man and woman in my image. You are the next best thing. You are my chosen children. You carry my image. So you are a reflection to the entire creation of who the the holiness and the goodness of God is, is reflected in humanity. But what does the snake say? The snake says, you eat this, you will be like God. Right? So Eve bit the lie that he is God and so can we. And that's where division starts. Because now you're competing with God for his throne, where your job, your calling, my calling, is to be positioned under him, empowered through him. Love flows from him through me, but he is the vine, we are the branches. I can't be a vine. Amen? I'm not the source, he's the source. So if we mess this up, the whole trajectory, our alignment starts steering us off. Amen? 
So this is where we need to find ourselves in Sabbath, is a place to come and sit at his feet and just remember, like Mary did, you're the Messiah. I need not worry. You're the good shepherd. I lack nothing. I can just sit and rest, and that leads us into a place of worship. Worship is not necessarily about the words we sing or the activity we do. Worship is about the positioning of your heart to be where God has designed you to be, under him, in him, through him, but allow him to rule, allow him to be in control. Amen? So one of the greatest idolatries we face in this time is the idolatry of me, that I can decide on my own. I have the right to choose. I want to do what's right for me. God, get on my plan. Do what I want to do. And one of the best things I love about God is when he slaps us a little bit and he's like, you think your will is going to get that done? You're going to find fulfillment in your way, in your desires? Have fun. And oftentimes he lets us run down that path and we fall into destruction. And then we're like, okay, Lord, okay, your will be done. And he's like, finally, you get it. Amen? So I have this weird thing. Whenever you preach the word of God, God gives you weird things. And this literally true story happened this week. I went to Starbucks early in the morning. And I found, um, literally by the door, there's nobody else there, if I, right beside the front door, like as I was walking in, there's a cactus on the ground. Now, I love cactuses, and if you've been to my house, I have a lot of cactuses. So I was like, oh, bugger, and free cactus. So I went, went inside, and I was like, hey, does you guys cactus? And they're like, no. Uh, I'm like, oh, can keep them? I'm like, yeah, keep them. Like, you sure? And like, nobody else is around. They're like, yeah, 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 keep them, keep them. I'm like, yeah, free cactus. There she is. And she's, what a cute cactus. She had a little flower on her, and it was like potted, and it was just like, it was almost like, Lord, did you leave me this cactus? Like, God, like, just be honest. Did you love me that much? You left me a cactus? And what I realized when I got home, there's something strange about this cactus. This cactus, I was looking, I smelled the flower, and I'm like, usually cactus flowers get smell, but this one didn't have a smell for some reason. But it was stuck to the cactus, so I'm like, that's weird. I took little scissors, and I trimmed those little orange leaves off. I'm like, Ting's plastic. What the heck? So this is the weirdest thing. I pulled the thing off. Someone super glued or hot glued a fake flower onto a real cactus. Then I'm like, wait, the cactus must not be real. So I looked. I'm like, no, it's got dirt. It's got roots. still pokey. It's the weirdest thing. If you are a person who glues fake flowers to real cactuses, what's wrong with you? I don't understand this. This is like, what's, what ungodly behavior is this? So I'm trying to figure out what in the world is going on with this. If anyone has an explanation for this, I'd love to talk after because I have no idea why. But it made me realize when we go through the process of resting, and here's how the Lord's like, this cactus is for you for this reason. When you go through the process of resting in Christ, you stop, you rest, you rejuvenate. Those things are so focused on me, my contentment, my peace, my health. And God wants those things. But as soon as we miss worship in our resting, it's like having a cactus with a fake flower. It's what John Mark Comer called in the video, sabbish, where you start resting, but you realize there's something missing. You're not bearing any fruit because the fruit of your spiritual walk in Christ comes from resting in God that leads you into a place of worshiping him. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. You will bear, you'll be a cactus that grows flowers when you fully trust in him, which means you worship him. If I try to rest without worship, I'm just, it's all selfish. It's like I'm growing fake flowers. You're going to live a fruitless life. And so many of us live like this. You're like, I, I relax three days a week. I don't work too hard at all. 
but I feel like there's still something missing in my soul. There's something about worshiping God that actually repositions us back to the place he designed us to be under him, fully acknowledging his goodness, his greatness in my life. And if I'm not worshiping him, I have to ask the question, is it because I placed myself or my desires, my wishes, my ambitions next to his? And said, and competing, he feels like he's competing with me rather than blessing me and serving me. Does that make sense? So worship begins with the, pot, the position of the heart. It's always, a, it's always a heart issue. Where is your heart at? Where's the position of your heart? And this is something we're learning too in Sabbath. We can have, um, with our family, we can have five or ten minute like Sabbath activity with our kids. And it's the best thing if everyone's heart is right. We can Sabbath for two straight days. And if everyone's heart is grumpy and cranky and nobody wants to do it, it's, not, it's actually more restless than we were before. It's counterproductive to the spiritual rest that we're looking for. So worship begins with the posture of the heart. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much time. But if your heart is right, you can connect with Jesus in crazy ways, in little bit of time, given your heart is in the right position. Amen? So here's a couple of thoughts of some scriptures that the Bible says about worship. John, uh, 1 John 5, 21 says this. It says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Amen? This is worship. It's saving that th- little throne in your heart for Jesus. I know that's a weird visual. Like, he doesn't literally just sit. But when we sing those sayings, like, Lord, reign over my heart. Take throne, your throne room into my heart. It's meaning I give you full control, not, control, not just as Savior, but as Lord. Have your way in me. I want your way because your way brings life. You're the source. You're the goodness of my life. So I want that in me. My children, keep away from anything where you're taking God off that throne and you're putting anything else back on. And there's a lot of things we worship in culture, a lot of things we worship in society. I, had, I heard it once before, there's no such thing as an atheist because everybody worships something. We all worship something. We all put something on a shrine or on a mantle that we No, only God belongs there. And so the truth is, the posture of worship demands that we position ourselves, we get our truck back into alignment so that we can drive clearly on the road that God has marked out for us. The next verse is this, Psalm 8, 4 through 6. He says this, What mere mortals that you, what are mere mortals that you should think about us? You think about human beings that you should care for us. You are great you are the one who created all creation by speaking. He's immaculate. He's immense. He is incredible. He's miraculous. Who are you that you would come down and even think about us? You made them, us humans, only a little lower than God and crowned them with the glory and the honor. Amen? Where's our position? A little bit lower than God. Carrying his glory, his honor through the Holy Spirit. So our posture of worship always has to make sure that I'm coming under God and I'm not competing with God. In Romans chapter 12, he says this, that you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. After saying this, that worship, the true act of worship, is giving yourself as living sacrifices. So worship is this, and the next point is that worship is a total, sorry, obedience to his design and call. Everything about you in your life has a design to it. Have you realized that? It has a call. God has marked you on a call, with a call and a design. 
And worshiping him is about obedience that I would be a living sacrifice. My, the entire breadth of my being would be put on the altar for God's will to be done. This is what Isaac and Jacob was all about, that story. That Isaac would bring his son and put him as a living sacrifice on the altar. Why? Because I'm positioning myself under God, and he asked me to. And then that becomes a motif for the coming of Christ, who then becomes the living sacrifice who paid for all of our sins. But for us, then, Paul says, now you go and be a living sacrifice. This is true worship, that you would become a living sacrifice, that in every ounce of your breath, every waking and sleeping moment, you're making the glory about him. You're positioning your heart back under him again. Are you with me? So posture of worship, Psalm 148 says this. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures and all, and all ocean depths, lighting, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and cedars, wild animals and cattle, small creatures, flying birds, kings of the earth, and all the nations, you princes, rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens, and he has raised up for his people a horn. The praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart, praise the Lord. Hallelujah in the Hebrew is a call. It's not just something that I say when I worship. It's a call to worship. Hallelujah, let's gather and worship Yah, Yahweh. Let us gather and worship him. He's the one who's to be exalted. Sabbath practice, having a rhythm of rest, allows me to stop what I'm doing, recognize where I'm walking in my own ways, walking in my own blunders, and say, God, your will be done. Your name is exalted, not mine. And it positions our heart back to a place where God intended it to be. I don't know if you ever thought about this. I, I've always thought about this when I read this. I'm like, why are they calling birds, clouds, um, all, these all these creatures, trees, cedars, to worship God? You cedar trees, you better worship the creator, right? It's a weird thing to say for scripture. Have you ever asked why? Why, does, why is it important that creation worships God? Well, it actually says, laying out, it's because he created all things. You, we are under him. But it, have you ever asked the question, how? How does a cedar tree worship God? How does a fruit tree, how do cattle worship God? It's simple. They're obedient to their foremost command and design, which was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Every time my guava tree pumps some guava out, it's worshiping God. Amen? Because it's walking in the design that God had declared over it since the beginning of creation. When you and I stop and rest, we're worshiping God because we're walking in the design that he gave us in creation, to honor the Sabbath, to sit at his feet, to not be distracted by the things of the world, but let the good news of the gospel lead us into connectivity with our creator. Amen? That's the goodness. So worship is Sabbath, and Sabbath is worship, in another way to say it. And worship is about living in that design that God has cast over our lives. And the last point is this, is that worship never ends. This is the greatest thing. Worship is actually a glimpse of heaven. When we worship here on Sunday mornings, that's where my heart and my mind go. It's like, this is what heaven's going to be like. 
this feeling, this community, seeing the people of God gathered together, glorifying one name above all names. That's amazing. So worship never ends. We're not just worshiping once a week when we stop and we Sabbath. Worship is a positioning of the heart that continues everywhere I go. My heart is falling under. I'm positioning myself under God, slightly lower than God. The Bible says that we're also slightly above the angels. And another pastor says we're slightly below the angels. We're below the angels in power and supernatural ability, but we're above them in image-bearing qualities of Christ. Does that make sense? So we're positioned above the angels, under God, and it's out of this place we're going to live in our design and we're going to find a human flourishing. I believe that. That's where we find rest for our souls. Because when we recognize that he is God alone, he is the king of kings, he is the Lord of lords, he is the king of my heart, the king of my life, he is worth everything, he's worth selling us all of my property for, he's worth it all. If he's worthy of that much glory, I sit under him and my life can now be shaped and molded by him. Because I'm allowing him to steward everything, him to be the ruler, him to be Lord. And so when I can do that, I can sit back and cut my own striving, cut my own trying so hard all the time, and my own need to perform before God, and just be like, Lord, your will be done. I don't need to make the meal. I can sit at your feet. Amen? Amen. So we have um, a really cool testimony that just, I feel like the Lord has just brought up at the right time. Um, But many of you guys know Grace. Grace and David have just been this beautiful couple addition to our church uh, just in the last few months. And Grace uh, has a history of worship and being in church and worship leading. And she just has a really powerful story of how the Lord has moved her heart to position her back into worship. So can you welcome her with me as she comes up? Give her a round of applause. Take a seat. Nope, you're good. Okay, so Grace, tell us um, maybe really quick, introduction, where are you from, and what was life growing up for you in the faith? Okay. Um, I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio, Um, now married to David, who is in the military, so travel around. Um, And growing up, uh, my dad was actually a pastor, so kind of grew up in the church, and yeah, I think I accepted Jesus personally when I was like seven. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you know, and you know, church ministry—the feeling because dad, being a pastor, grew up with ministry and stuff. Um, how did you get into worship? Like, how did you? What was that process like? Yeah, I don't really love being in front of people, except for I don't really care when I'm worshiping. Like, I feel like I just close my eyes and I'm just thinking about the throne room, thinking about Jesus. And um, so that's super fun for me um, because worship is just fun. I think that's my simple answer. That's good. No, that's it's just awesome. fun. Yeah, you have fun yeah. doing it. Awesome. As, tell us your story of like what the last four or five years has looked like pursuing God in worship. Um, well, so six years ago, um, I was actually working at a church and I was the worship director at the church. And... Um, So that's kind of where I was at in life. And I ended up one day, I was like getting ready for bed, and I just felt like a mass all of a sudden on the side of my neck just appear out of nowhere. And went to the doctor, went to the hospital, to the ER. And I might get emotional (laughs) a little bit. 
Um, yeah, and so I went to the ER. They immediately were like, oh, yeah, you're not allergic to anything or anything like that. You actually have cancer. It's been, you know, in you for probably years now and has spread to your lymph nodes. And, um, yeah. Um, and I'm extra emotional about it right now just because um, I've shared this story a bunch of times. Not always emotional, but today is kind of the first day worshiping like on stage since that season because it did affect my voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. Um, so yeah, okay, now I've got all the tears out. I'm good now. Um, so yeah, I went to the hospital. They uh, basically put me on in co oncology and um, I had thyroid cancer that had spread into my lymph nodes and within a couple of days, um, they basically rushed me to surgery, uh, which was kind of a miracle. They had an opening with like the best um, cancer throat surgeon in Ohio, which was amazing. Um, and of course, it was just a whirlwind. Um, but I do want to say like when they first diagnosed me that night, they were just kind of like, okay, yeah, you have cancer. And I was, of course, like, wait, what? But my immediate thought was just like, okay, Lord, like, I can only do this for your glory if you completely remove my fear and just give me peace about this completely. Um, just like faith over fear, that's all I could really process. And so I just remember falling asleep praying that. And I honestly woke up like that first full day in the hospital, I woke up and I was just like, completely at peace, like the kind of peace that is just beyond all understanding that only God can give. I'm pretty sure I woke up like smiling, talking to everyone. I don't even know. I was a different person, like so excited to be there. Crazy. And um, yeah, and so that's really how the Holy Spirit had me um, in the hospital. And I remember like it was great time. So many friends were coming to see me. It was like a party. And then the day of the surgery, the surgeon came in and he was like, hey, one last thing, like, we're going to take you into surgery. It was supposed to take like three and a half hours. It ended up taking like over seven. But um, he was like, we're going to take you into surgery. And um, before I do, I just need to tell you that you have cancer actually wrapped around your vocal cord used to sing. So I hope you don't like to sing. <laughs> And I was just like, well, actually, it's my job. Like, I am a worship director at church, and I love singing. I love worshiping. Um, I didn't say that to him, but, you know, that's just where I was at. And so it just kind of felt like another thing um, on top of just cancer in general. Um, but didn't have a ton of time to think about it. I honestly was just like, okay, God, like, if this is your will for me, then I just need to be okay with, like, singing again in heaven, worshiping in heaven. And um, I know that worship is so much more than singing, and so I can worship you in every other way here, but just, like, need peace for that. Um, but really, like, please save my voice. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I had surgery, and they removed my thyroid and, um, like, 17 lymph nodes and, like, a tumor behind my heart and um, went on to do the treatments and stuff. And um, my voice, I had no voice at first, which is scary. Um, 
I'm kind of a talker, so that was kind of a bummer. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, but basically my voice came back and strengthened and um, led at the church a little bit more. Um, and I just ended up having to quit because I needed my voice to, like, heal, and it was painful. Um, so, yeah, fast forward, like, six years in here today, and it's, it's just, like, fun to get to be here and worship. So... Amen. Grace, thanks for sharing. That's really powerful. Um, And just your current state, especially with cancer and everything, the surgeries, you can sing. And I think you had told me the last time, you said the doctors told you, like, good luck, you'll probably never sing again. But here you are, rejoicing. Isn't that amazing? That God will, and I really want to highlight this because you, I hope you caught it. The positioning of Grace's heart when she found out that she cannot sing but you're like, no, it's, I'm still worshiping you, even though I cannot sing. That's worship. And that's where that peace, and that, like you said, yeah, kids just have this sense of contentment. Spiritual rest comes from worshiping and positioning my heart under God and saying, Lord, your will be done. So I just feel like that's such an encouragement to our spirits, um, what you're doing. And then it's just such a cool thing today that you're back <laughs> singing again today, which means yeah. God will make us through. God will deliver us. He will get us through. So thank you for your faithfulness, and um, we're just so excited for you to keep worshiping, and we're going to keep praying for you, uh, for your health, and for your vocal cords, just to like get not just like back to where they were, but better. <laughs> Amen? Because a resurrection power is better than I was before, and I believe that the resurrection of the Spirit in your body is going to have you sing in new ways, and there's just going to be powerful worship coming out of your mouth, and we're excited to see it. Thank Amen. You. Yeah. Can we um, can we pray for? Um, I, sorry, I just feel led to pray for you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Um, we're gonna pray for Grace, and then um, then you can clap. Okay. <laughs> Jesus, we thank you so much, uh, God, for this beautiful spirit of worship that exists within Grace. We thank you, God, for her heart, for posturing herself in your timing and posturing yourself herself in your will. And God, we just know that that's where it starts. And we thank you for this divine word that she just gave, that worship is more than singing. Father, that we can worship you in hundreds and hundreds of different creative and beautiful ways. So Lord, may there just be a creativity in our spirit, as Grace has just spoken that over us, um, to explore worship in ways that we may not have before. Father, with the work of our hand, with the, the movement of our feet, with the way our mind works, the way our voice works, God, find us ways to connect with you to express praise and adoration for you as our living God. We thank you for God for grace's healing. We pray for more continued full healing, Lord. God, we pray against any of the cancer coming back in Jesus that her spirit would be a radiation of praise, that a radiation of your glory. And Father, that you would use this testimony as a weapon against darkness, a weapon against the enemy who thinks he has us in a bind. We thank you, God, that you're the healer, that you're the deliverer, that you're the one who gives everything to us. You're the vine, we're the branches. And Jesus, I pray for just a mighty season of worship through her words, her actions, and everything else, Lord. Lead through her. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 Now you can clap for grace. So, oh, you can give it to those guys. Thank you. So the last kind of exhortation for this is we're finishing up our Sabbath series. And I really pray that Sabbath would be a time of rest and a time of worship in your, in your week. That we'd be able to habituate ourselves around the things of Christ so that 
we can posture our heart into a place and find rest in Christ. So here's a vision for Sabbath. It's really wordy, but this is my, my best job. This is a vision for you and your family, for you and your soul, your spirit, for your family to find deep fulfillment in Jesus by habituating your life, my life, around his divine goodness in rhythms of love, grace, work, and Sabbath. Amen? May this be the lingering motion, exhortation of our heart, is to keep habituating ourselves around the things of Christ and find richness and love and grace in his name. Amen? So we're going to uh, end service this morning um, with the doxology. If you don't know the doxology, it's been sung for many, many years, but it's a reminder of who God is. And so for some of us, entering into a place of worship means we have to remind ourselves theologically where he's at and where I'm at. And we have to not make sure that we bleed into his space, but we, we don't position our, the throne in our hearts higher than we position him. Amen? So would you stand with us? And Alyssa and the worship team are going to lead us as we sing this. And, and... Aloha, church family. Thank you so much for joining with us in worship this morning. We truly hope that you were refreshed and, and strengthened in your faith during these crazy pandemic days. We want, invite you to look at all of our messages. They're available on our YouTube channel. We'd also invite you to download our church app. It's just a great way for us to keep in touch, to communicate, also for you to receive materials. So uh, take advantage of downloading that church app. We would invite you to partner with us as we continue serving God faithfully during these days. And you can give online, you can give on our website, uh, or mail a check into our street address. We really appreciate your support with that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord grant you peace. We love you. Aloha.